So you want to start? Uh, sure, I guess. Uh, I'm not even sure where to start, um, other than the fact that, like, I'm, I'm still just in this weird space, right? Because I, you, you'd figure with all the difficulties um, that I, I face today, I'd be in a more panicked state. Um, but I almost feel slap happy, if that makes any sense. Like it's so preposterous that you know. Don't get me wrong; I had my moment, um, and I mean, I. All right, we're going to get real dark here for a second. Um, so I've never really been suicidal and I've never really had suicidal thoughts. But today, just for a second, I understood it. Oh, totally. Because it's like that, that when something seems so large, um, there's a, there's a, a, a logic to like, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna skip out on this. You know, like, I, I don't know that I can, I can go through this. So maybe it's just easier if I don't go through this. That, that's like the logical part of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and the weirder the weirder aspect of it is there was this 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 I, I'm not even sure how to describe it where it I've never felt hopeless before, you know? And, and and it's it's weird because I I you know, I'm not comparing myself to anyone who's gone through a much more dire situation than I went through today, but you know, I I kind of understand that hopelessness where you feel like there's literally nothing that you can do to solve the problem. Well, you know, the thing about comparative um misery is it's it's a ridiculous game to play in general um i had a friend one time he said uh one of his big pet peeves was he would say i'm hungry i haven't eaten since noon you know it's like eight in the eight in the evening and it would drive him nuts when somebody goes well i haven't eaten since 8 a.m and he'd say that's great oh, i hate that yeah i hate that that's great but it doesn't make me less hungry you know, so like me, yeah, maybe people have gone through something. Well, not maybe people have definitely gone through things worse than you're going through right now, but it doesn't diminish the difficulty that you have in front of you. Yeah, it's that it's that thing that I always go back to, which is everybody's problems are real to them, um, mm-hmm. regardless of you know uh, whether you're trying to feed four kids and you're in a single bed bedroom in in the hood or. You know, you're a Los Gatos mom trying to, to get her kids to a soccer practice and, and feeling panicked by how, how many things you have to do throughout the course of that day. Like everybody's problems are, are so real to them. And I don't feel like, I, I hate the compare game. I mean, that's actually, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that's one of the things that almost instantly turns me off to certain people. Um, so if I have, if my first conversation with you is me talking about something and you waiting for your turn to relate to me in some way or say something in retort to it, then I already know that we're probably not going to be that close. <laughs> yeah, because for some people, conversations are like battles. I yeah. used to be like that, I think. Um, I didn't realize that was like that. But I, I think it just being an only child, um, it took me a long time to really learn how to... A long time in maturity. That's why it took a long time. Uh, to learn how to actually be a, an equal partner in a conversation and in a relationship and not playing that, you know, because it, as an only child, the world does revolve around you, especially like me. I was an only child of a single parent. Jesus. So, so, I mean, that's like, that's like being put on a throne on top of a throne, you know? Yeah. Your kingdom doesn't get any smaller than that, dude. Like, I mean, you're one, you're one big fish in a tiny pond. There's a great, have, have you seen any of the episodes of the Connors? 
the show. No, I actually somehow missed that entire that entire thing. Um, I didn't see the last season with Roseanne on it um, before they killed her off. Um, but I actually, you know, I'm not. I I wouldn't say it's like an amazing show, but I have so much history with that family. You know, growing up with that show on that I enjoy watching it. And there was a moment in an episode last night where um, Darlene has a kid. Um, I'm not going to fill everybody in and all the facts of the show. If you're curious, go watch the show. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, the kid sa- says something and she um, she says, well, I, I think that, you know, you you did great. Like you always do. He says, yeah. He says, you, you know, you're my mom. And uh, you telling me I did something great kind of makes it meaningless because you think everything I do is great. And there's something they go back and forth. And she's like, I think you're wrong. And then she leaves the room. She's like, no, I, 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 I'm, I don't think you're wrong. You know, um, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're great. Like you always are. And it's, it's like, it totally, it's totally making fun of that situation, but that is what it's like. You know, there's, there's a certain uh, concession when there's no one else to be paid attention to. Um, but anyways, we've we've kind of veered a little bit off of the original <laughs> topic idea. Well, not really, though. I think there's there, I think there's an aspect of that that kind of fits. I mean, all of these things are related in some way, right? Like, I mean, it's perception versus reality. Like, I mean, you look at a show like The Connors, for example, and you know, like, at least in what I understood of 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 The Connors as they are now and Roseanne when I used to watch back in the day, like, it's a very human show, um, and the problems are very human, and the 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 reactions to the problems are very human. Um, so no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's too far of a veer off. And you know, it's, uh, I guess since we're going to talk about the Connors for a second, something that I've been thinking and watching it, like I said, I didn't see last season with Roseanne, but I have seen a ton of the old show, the original show. And in some ways the show is better without her. Um, because maybe in a way, kind of like what we were saying, um, everything kind of centered around her before. And so it was like, well, all right, when's Roseanne going to come in and, you know, break up the situation with sarcasm? And now you kind of have to, the sarcasm gets juggled around between the cast and it feels more like a family. Uh, um, and that's with the exception of like the first couple seasons of that show, the original, because it was amazing and she was more of a mom then. As she got famous, that show became kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it became kind of one trick ponyish, and you're just kind of waiting to see what what Roseanne would do. Um, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I guess, and I think that the fall of Roseanne too is is weirdly akin to all of this. Is that yeah? Maybe it's the way I present myself to the world, or or, or because I'm decently well spoken. Um, but but people, at, at least some people in my life, feel like I can't go through normal things. <laughs> right. I know that sounds really strange, but you know, I, I, I whether I always present a, 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 a strong front, I guess, is probably the easiest way to say it. And I feel if anything else, um, this situation um, has humanized me a lot to myself um, because today I just couldn't do it. You know, today I couldn't put on the brave face and I couldn't put on the, 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 the polished veneer that I've, I've delicately put in place for so long and you know today i just had to be the 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 glower almost morose version of myself um and i'm so not used to presenting that to the world it's it's strange to say but in some ways it's a really good moment um because of that 
you know, like for me, like the last month, um, I definitely feel like that anxiety bout that I had. Um, every time I go through that anxiety thing, every time I go through that, it's difficult. Um, but it always brings me back to a center because I, the only way I can survive it is by becoming centered. You know, sure. like finding those things, you know, like we've talked about in episodes before, Tai Chi and yoga and, and meditation. It drives me back to those things and those things balance me. Um, so it, maybe this is a time for you to find a new balance. Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, I, 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 I needed it. Um, you know, so I found the comfort and some, some conversation with, um, a friend, a, a mutual friend of ours. Um, you know, and I, it's weird because in that moment I didn't want to commiserate about horrible things. I wanted to talk about, uh, forward progress. You know, I wanted to talk about positive things and, and I feel, you know, like th- there's, there, there's certain people who, who fall into the misery. Um, and the, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, you know, if you, how you react emotionally to things is how you react. But I feel like I, in almost any circumstance, whether it's a, a situation or a problem I'm dealing with for myself, or I see my friend going through something, I usually run in the opposite direction. Um, I, I become an inherently positive person. And so today, I think I felt like I needed that from other people because I couldn't get it from myself, but I still wanted it. Yeah, it's a weird balancing act, right? There's there's times when you need people to push back on you, and there's other times when you need people to prop you up. And I, I mean, that's kind of the thing about friendship, right? The the closer someone is, is the more that they're able to read those cues without you having to directly ask for it, even though there's nothing wrong with asking for it. Sure, but asking for it, it's yeah, I'm. I'm I'm so not practiced at it. I'm really bad at it, actually. I'm the worst person in the world at asking for help. Mm. Well, then maybe that's maybe this is the time for you to start practicing that yeah. and to learn that skill. Because it's, I mean, not that I'm drastically older than you, but maybe in the tiny bit older than you than I am, which is what am I, like two years older than you, I think, three? Yeah, yeah two, three, somewhere, somewhere around there, yeah. In that two or three years, I've had to learn how to do that. And I can say it does drastically change your life, even though I'm overusing the word drastically right now. Um, but, <laughs> I feel like you and I, like find, like every week we get a word in our head and we just say it a million times. Yeah, just it, it rolls around like a pebble. Um, but that skill is so important because I think like when I read about um, good relationships, you know, the best relationships are the ones where people say, hey, um, I'm feeling sad today and I need you to just sit here with me. Because they're able to communicate it instead of expecting people to guess it. Mm. And I'm not saying you're expecting people to guess it, but sort of when we operate that way, we kind of are. Um, so we add disappointments to that list of things that are you know, grinding into our head. So if you can knock off at least disappointment from your list, that's, that little bit of edge might be just enough to help you. Oh, I'm not even going to deny it. I'm definitely that person. I, I Man... So, so, you know, one of my, my good friends at some point in my life told me that I'm really, really smart, but I'm not really that wise. And I feel like this is one of those moments where the wisdom catches up with me and I need it. So in that moment, I have to fight for the wisdom. And I, I feel like, I feel like with, with, with wisdom in particular, um, it's not something that you can gain unless you have experience to back it. Um, because I think logic is, is useful, but I think wisdom comes from the, 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 slings and arrows of experience, you know? Right. Well, that's why when you think about uh, what you've learned in your years, try giving that 
information to a 17-year-old. There's no, of course, there'll be exceptions to this rule, but there's no way you're going to give that to the average 17-year-old because it's not going to translate, not because they're too dumb or anything like that, what people like to say, but because they have to live it. Some lessons you have to live. And I think that's that's a difficulty. As I get older, I start to understand um, all the intricate difficulties of being a parent without having to actually be one. And one of those things is understanding that there are certain things that you can't teach your children, that they have to do it themselves. And one of those things is failure. Sure. And And regardless of whether you're at fault for what happens to you or not. Sometimes failure just happens and you didn't even do it. You know, like in your situation, failure has come to you, but you didn't fail. It's somebody else's failure dumped on top of you. Uh, it's so weird how that works out though, right? Like, I mean, it, it's it's so easy to play the blame game in moments like this. Like, I mean, you know the situation. So right. you know that I could pretty easily throw blame towards somebody else. And don't get me wrong, that person is... At fault to a certain extent as well, but I also wasn't as smart as I, as I needed to be to to come out of that situation better. So I mean, I'm not I'm not completely shifting the blame to someone other than myself, or at least I'm trying not to. But you know, it's 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 a pretty easy reaction to play victim, and I think most people, at least throughout the course of their lives, are kind of trained to be that way. Um, but you know, as you get older, you realize that. The only way that you can get better, the only way that you can progress through your life in such a way where you're constantly moving forward is to accept the blame where, not the blame, the blame is dumb, blame blame is not the right word, to accept the responsibility of your shortcomings and to be, and to accept also then the responsibility to be better than your shortcomings. You know, one of the reasons I always tell people that vocabulary is so important is because when you lack vocabulary, um, you tend to use words that are adjacent sure. but mean different things for the same thing. And <laughs> one of those is exactly what I was going to say, but you said it for me, is blame and responsibility are two different things. Absolutely. The other person, there's no point in blaming the other person, but the other person does have to take responsibility for their part in it. And you're not going to pass blame, but you do have to pass the responsibility. Oh, I mean, it's it's tough, though. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, re- the thing about it is, is responsibility is one of the you know blame. Blame is kind of a it's fictional. You know, we create it. It doesn't really exist on its own. But responsibility, it's like this thing that. Uh, Do you ever? You know, you're a big Brian Fuller fan. Did you ever watch? Um, what's the one with the pie maker? Um, I keep wanting to say Dead Like Me, but it's the one he did after that. Um, pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies, yeah. Oh, it's a great show. Yeah. Okay. So you remember the premise that the the pie maker can bring people back to life, mm-hmm. but he can only bring them back to life for a minute. Um, if he brings them back to life, or it doesn't have to be a person, can be an animal too, um, brings them back to life for over a minute, then they get to stay alive. He can never touch them again, but something else has to die. Yep. So because that death has to be passed on. That's responsibility. Responsibility has to land somewhere. It doesn't go away. So if you don't hand somebody the responsibility that is their own, you have to keep it. And, and that's, not, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, but the weight of that is sometimes... I mean, and I guess, I guess as you get older um, and the, the, the stakes become higher, 
um, you realize how how hefty the weight is of some of those responsibilities. And I'm not saying that those are actually, that that's not even, that's, that that's even a bad thing or that that feeling is necessarily inherently negative. Having more responsibility, at least in this situation for me, actually feels weirdly positive um, in the sense that now I feel like despite how horrifying my experience has been today, I actually feel like I need to take more control. And I feel like in this moment, I understand what real control is. Right. Well, control is is basically a decision. Yeah. And everybody's control is different because of that, because everybody's decision is different. And and it has to start with this weird moment where you choose. Like it's it's a conscious choice that you have to make, and that's so strange. And and don't get me wrong, like I mean, I I, I thought throughout the course of my life that I understood it. You know, like you always think you understand these things in the moment. Um, but I feel like and I feel like there's probably going to be a moment in my life where this gets redefined again. But I feel like this is a moment where I have to seize control of my life in a way that I've never had to before. And seize control of yourself, you know, because you're managing emotions and you're managing all of these other things within yourself that um, maybe don't fit into the category of thoughts or emotions, you know, those in-between things. Sure. Um, impulses and... Uh, you know, what, what is responsibility? Where does that fit? All of those things, you, you're taking control of those things. But at a certain degree, that's you seeking balance because you don't have control of the other thing. So that's why you're driven to the control because you need some control. I kind of feel like that's why, and, and you know, weird to admit this on this episode. Um, it's weird, but it's not. I actually feel like it fits really well. So I've never really been a suicidal person. Um, you know, I've never really had suicidal thoughts. Um, but today, I kind of understood it. You know, I, for the first time in my life, I really understood the feeling. And I feel like the, the extension of that um, in comparison to what we're talking about is that it's the one thing in that moment, because all of this literally happened all at once um, today. Um, and it's in that moment where I felt like that's the only real thing I had any control over. And right. I think that's, that's why in that moment I felt that pang, you know, I felt that, that, that weird urge that I'd never felt before, which is, you know, maybe I could just check out and maybe I would be, or the world would be better off. Like it was a fleeting thought. So, I mean, I don't want anyone here to think that I'm suicidal or anything like that, but I definitely had that moment where I, I felt like that was one of the few ways I could wrestle control from the situation. Right. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how it happens for teenagers, right? It's this, the, the huge difference here too, we should clarify, you know, like you said, you, you, you thought about it. it, it popped into your head. It was a thought you had, but it's not something you're contemplating. It's not something yeah. you're thinking about. It's something that popped in your head. Like, um, unfortunately, when people have a parent pop in their head, when they're in a sexual situation, <laughs> you don't plan on that thought. You don't want that thought. You don't want to dwell on the thought, but it pops up and it's gross and awful because our brains are fucked up and weird and they've surfaced things when we don't want them. Um, but when you're a teenager and those things pop up, you don't have the emotional acuity and the, the maturity to understand that the way that an adult does or the way that most adults do. So they can dwell on those because they yeah. think there's a truth to it because they had it. The, the scope of experience allows you the, the, the depth to understand 
the height of that, I guess, is the easier way to put it, like how high and how low it can be. Well, and it also teaches you that sometimes you have thoughts that don't mean anything. You know, when you're young, we all, that's why we're so passionate when we're young, because we think every thought we have means something. But sometimes it's just a hiccup, a fart, or a belch in your brain. It just pops up like a bubble. And you go, oh, that thought's there. Doesn't mean anything, but it was there. And there's a huge, drastic difference there. And hopefully, if anybody has gone through that, they can understand that. Um, But we should, since the topic has come up, we should say something very briefly. If you are one of the people who does have um, suicidal thoughts or um, suicidal ideation or you're contemplating it, talk to somebody, please. Don't. The more you dwell on that and keep inside yourself, you know, like Lamb sharing that, even though he's not contemplating it, sharing it, it kind of disperses it. It takes its power away. So if you're anybody out there thinking that, please make sure you, you talk to somebody, okay? Um, the one thing that, that, that kind of goes along with it too, that, you know, since we're, we're talking about helping is, is to help yourself to understand that it's not a shameful thought either. I mean, that's something that I had to fight for myself mm-hmm. in the moment too, is that I couldn't, I had to stop myself from feeling shame that I had that thought, you know? And, and that's a very, that's a very tough thing to navigate in that the emotion is so strong in that moment. Because if you're contemplating that at all, it's one of two things, right? Either you feel nothing and you want to feel something or you feel too much and you want it to stop. And in that moment, it feels like an escape. You know, it feels like a, a, a it feels like you're taking the easy way out, but don't judge yourself for feeling that, you know, don't judge yourself for, for wanting things to be a little bit easier or more under control, you know, let yourself have the moment. Right. I mean, in, in a weird way, it's your brain doing its job. You have a problem and your brain is surfacing possible solutions. And you just have to look at that one and go, nope, don't want that one. Next, next solution, which is what you did, right? <laughs> yeah. You said, nope, don't want to do that. So what's another solution? Sure. So yeah, it's, this is, this is a, it's a difficult subject because I think that, um, People who have gone through it, who have really understand what's what's going on in this conversation right now, and people who haven't, um, are probably really lost and really confused as to you know like is Lamb going to do something to himself um, because they don't understand really the depth of what that feels like to just have that thought and let it go. Yeah, and and and. I'm going to be real with you too. Like, I mean, it's, it's a thought that, that lingered probably longer than I, I thought it would considering how, how well mentally I think I am. Um, um, but you, it's, it's strange because I hadn't really had a moment that tested me that way. Um, and God knows how long. Um, and so because of that, like I, I feel even more sure now that, I need to check in with myself more mentally more often so that I'm, I'm better prepared to handle both the good and the bad that may come along in life. That's why for me that even though I, I, I go in and out of it, you know, it's like what people say about meditation. I know it's really good. I should do it more often. That's how I felt about that uh, self-inventory. You know, like I do those like 10 or 15 questions every night in a journal and I never felt 
more on top of my internal life than when I was doing that. But, you know, like uh, like schizophrenics or um, manic depressives with their medicine, once you start feeling good, you stop taking it. Once I started sure. feeling better, I stopped doing that. But I can recommend that to you and I can recommend that to the audience. And if people actually want, I will put a list if I can. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have it somewhere. I'll put the list on the website. Um, it's just something, you know, take five, 10 minutes every night and just check in with yourself. And it's, you know, you, it's your focus on, you know, what was the good shit that happened today? And what was the sticking point? And how can I deal with, you know, like there's, there's different parts of our brain. There's, and there's the emotional part of our brain. And then there is the logical part of our brain. And some thoughts, you can move them from one part to the other. You know, like, for example, um, one of the techniques that they tell you when you have anxiety is to vocalize it, is to say, and vocalize and minimize. So you say something like, I'm having a tiny bit of anxiety right now. I'm feeling a bit of pressure in my left pec. And you just start vocalizing it. And what that does, just the process of vocalizing it, is it moves it from one part of your brain to the other. And when it moves it to that part, you can actually deal with it in a different way. And I think that, you know, that, that's probably why you're so driven to, like you said, take more control of your life than you ever did before, because you're following that impulse to move things into a place where you have movable pieces. Definitely. And, and, and I'm not even, there, I have no illusions about that even. I definitely believe that to be true. I feel like if I can break it down into its core pieces and, in order to do so, I think the vocalization part of what you're describing is so critically important. In, in being able to, to vocalize it, you can give it a face and a name. And when you do that, you can take control of it a lot easier. Yeah. And then the, you know, monsters are always shadowy figures. Well, if you shine light on them, they're not really shadowy anymore. And then sure. you can actually see their shape and their dimension. No, it doesn't make them go away like vampires or something like that. But when you can see these things for the shape and the size that they actually are, they become easier to deal with. Sure. You know, we, we tend to catastrophize. You know, we make things bigger than they are. Um, like here, I'll give you an example of something recently that I had the luck, and I will say luck, that I was on a good day and I dealt with this in stride. Um, where on a normal day, it could have totally demolished me and I could have catastrophized it. Um, we've mentioned I've had problems with you know weird heart stuff recently. Well, one of those times I went to the ER and I went to the ER for like it was five six hours. Um, well, I finally got the bill for that. <laughs> and oh, I, I have insurance. I pay five hundred dollars a month in insurance. This is this is what blows my mind. But uh, so I got two bills for it. I got the professional bill, which is for the doctors. And that was only four hundred, and I say only <laughs> only four hundred and fifteen dollars. But then I finally got the actual ER bill, $2,400. Oh. That's $3,000 that I don't have sitting around. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I could have, in all honesty, like, I think I had that moment where the bill came. It didn't hurt. I was like, okay, got this. Because everything up until I got that bill sucked. Because I couldn't see the size of it. I didn't know how big the bill was going to be. You know, so in my mind, I was actually preparing. I'm like, what if I get a $10,000 bill? Sure. 
And and I had to tell myself, well, if I get a ten thousand dollar bill, I'm just gonna have to pay hundred bucks a month for the next ten years of my <laughs> life. And that's just the way it's gonna be. But once I got that bill, not only was it smaller than I thought it would be because I was thinking the worst, purposely thinking the worst. Um, well, I guess that's not the worst, but I was thinking realistic the worst. Um, but I could see it and I go, okay, this is what it looks like. This is the monster that I have to I have to fight. And that's a huge, huge difference. Making things tangible in every way is important for mental health because the more things stay intangible, the more dangerous they are because you can't actually work with them. Well, not only that, but you you have a tendency to then manifest the worst version of it too. <laughs> right. And, and like I said, and like 90% of it could be, you know, it's like fighting a giant Pomeranian. There's, <laughs> you know, there's really only a little tiny dog underneath there and the rest is just poof. But it looks uh, huge. I just pictured this massive Pomeranian. <laughs> <laughs> I've got dogs on the brain. Oh, yeah. You got to tell people about your dog too, speaking of. Well, that's, the, you know, that's kind of the... What I've discovered is um, what amazing medicine an animal is. I got a dog uh, last Friday. And uh, man, uh, you know, we've talked about like the highs of my heartbeat when it would hit like 181 and stuff like that. But um, on my my resting heart rate, you know, when I would be sitting here doing the show, I would be between 90 and 105 on average, which if you guys know anything about heart rate, so you're the old method of heart rate measurement was anything between 60 and 100 was considered normal. Closer to 60, the healthier. Now they say it's, well, some say between 50 and 90. Um, so yeah, I was, I was at the high, high end. And anything, you know, every, every step you get above 60 is uh, you're increasing your chance for heart attack or stroke, right? Um, for your resting heart rate. I'm not talking about when you're exercising, of course. Well, since getting the dog and mildly upping my dosage of the beta blocker, we're recording right now, which I don't take my pill for another half hour. So this is my my time when I'm most susceptible for a high heart rate. Right now, I'm at 64 beats per minute. Nice. So it's it's like the medicine took off 10 beats and the dog took off 10 or 15. And I don't know. I think that anybody out there that's having trouble with anxiety, maybe get a dog. It'll you help. know, I, I, I will be real with you. I mean, this is... So the last couple of years of my life were probably the first period of time in, in a long time that I haven't had a dog in my life. And I will definitely... I mean, this is my scientific you know, observation, which is not scientific at all, but I just feel more bummed out. You know, like, so at least Crystal, like she gets to, to dogs at a few dogs. So I get to see dogs from time to time. And every time I see one, it reminds me of how much I love them. Yeah. There's the weird emotional management thing, you know, like you don't even, you know, like this dog is, it's a smaller dog. He's a Chihuahua, um, but not like the little teacup. He's an actual full size, normal Chihuahua, um, 14 pounds. If you guys really want to know the details, <laughs> although he's Dude, probably that's, a, that's a big Chihuahua. Holy cow. Well, that's the size of a normal Chihuahua. What everybody else conceptualizes when they see Chihuahua is a teacup. Those 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 are minis, technically. You know, it's like the difference between a min pin and a and a Doberman pincher. There's one's bred to be tiny, um, but he's like a normal sized Chihuahua. You know, like the, remember Sarah's dogs? He's about the same size as them. They're Chihuahuas. Yeah. 
Huh. Interesting. Um, but the, and he, because he's that size, I don't know, he's three years old. So when I got him from the animal shelter, um, I, I don't know a lot about what his history was before, except that he'd been in multiple homes. Um, a couple of them had kids and he, chihuahuas and maybe him in particular, they they get snippy. So they, I guess they didn't trust them around the kids. Um, but he is a ham. He loves to be held. He, I mean, you can do anything with him. He'll he may, he'll lay in my arms sometimes and make me hold him like a baby, like <laughs> on his back. And anybody knows anything about dogs? Dogs don't like to be on their backs. Um, when I lay on the bed, he'll lay on my neck. He's he's all over me. He sits on my on my my forehead, um, <laughs> just and. That little bit of contact, you know, they talk about, um, I can't remember what hormone is released when you make physical contact. Um, somebody can look it up. It's got to be like dopamine, serotonin, melatonin. It's got to be one of those. I can't remember which it is. I want to say it begins with a C, but um, it doesn't matter. Some positive hormone is released into your system when you make physical contact. And that's why if you look up mental health things, they'll say pet an animal because that physical act will do that. Well, when you have an animal all over you, and like you said, you know, like dogs are great, but your dog is different, sure. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because you can do that. You can hold it longer and you can do those things. So you're getting more of that stuff dropping into your bloodstream. And of course, that's not to say that they're just a tool to be used. It's also having something to care for that's not yourself takes your mind off of yourself. It's hard to have anxiety when anxiety is basically a really extreme form of egotism. You're just thinking about yourself all the time. Well, when you have this thing that needs to poop and needs to eat and needs to walk, you can't do a lot of time with that. So that it's a great thing. Plus, there's a weird camaraderie that you have with it. I mean, I'm not dissing cat owners, but I don't feel the same way about cats. Um, I'm sure some some cat people will tell me otherwise, but um, I definitely feel like my my dog was more my friend, um, in the sense that we we had similar goals, we our patterns were the same, like we hung out together. You know, <laughs> like there's there's a very clear camaraderie that that I had I've had with every dog that I've had that is very unique um of a relationship you know it's not like any other friendship that i've ever had um and it's not to diminish the quality of the friendships that i've had either but it's just something about a dog is very very different well the thing is um i happen to be very lucky that the cat that i have um i have a very special relationship with that cat um to the point where people would say she's like a dog you know she's gotten older that's gotten a little bit more separated because she doesn't like to be picked up because she's sore she's getting older sure um, but I had a very intense friendship with my cat. I still do. And the, but the thing about that is, as somebody said this, I don't know who said it, but they said the difference between dogs and cats are, um, cats are tamed, dogs are domesticated. Cats choose. You know, they, they, they choose to let you into their life. Whereas a dog, a dog is, as long as you establish yourself as the alpha, the dog yeah. is yours forever. Sure. And, and, you know, like they had that movie just recently, I can't remember what it was called, about the history of men and dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It's actually called Alpha, I believe. Yeah, there you go. 
So we've been with them forever. They've been our best friends for a long time. And, and that, I think that's definitely a much better way to describe it as a, I believe the relationship between, between um, dogs and humans is far more symbiotic. Um, you know, this is why like you can take any kitten in the world, throw them out in the wild. And as long as something doesn't eat them, eat them they'll find a way to survive. You know what I mean? Um, they're, they're definitely, they have much more wild instincts and skills. Um, and I think that's the, whenever, whenever I think of cats or whenever people ask me whether I'm a dog or a cat person, I, I give them the, the simple answer of I love dogs and I respect cats. Well, you know, the thing about a dog too is, you know, we talk about all of this time that they've been around us. So, you know, they're bred, they've, they've chosen to breed tamer versions, you know, all this, you know, they go into all this story about how dogs, why dogs love us, but we've been around them just as long. So that you're right. It is symbiotic because I think it's built into humans as much as it's built into dogs. Oh, agreed completely. Sure. And that's why everybody freaks out when you hear about people that kill dogs or beat dogs or, you know, eat dogs. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it's like this is almost like breaking a social contract. Sure. Oh, I saw a horrible picture. You know, I was looking at, um, because this guy's snipping. I want to take him to the coffee shop. So I'm like, what's a really like not horrible kind of like, muzzle of some sort that I can just put on when I'm sitting in the coffee shop. Because there's young kids that go to the coffee shop. I don't want them biting at their ankles. Sure. Um, but I don't want like one of those big catcher masks, you know, and like I don't want him to be uncomfortable and freaked out. Yeah, um, you, don't so, want a, you don't want like a Hannibal Lecter mask on. <laughs> yeah. I saw one that looked like Bane, by the way, for for a pug. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was looking at those, but then um, saw an awful, awful picture of a... I think it was like a chocolate lab or something like that, that somebody had duct taped the mouth closed. Um, Jeez. And it was, it was so tight that the tongue was sticking out. Oh my God. Luckily, like they took it off and like only the hair was disturbed, but it was just an awful picture. And I'm like, who, who, who the fuck can do that to an animal? Yeah. Like, what I, asshole? Jeez, dude. I would love to have a, a, like an hour with a, a buck knife and some duct tape with that person. Yeah, I mean that's that's and and it's weird because I, I think with with dogs in particular, it it definitely gets to the point where I'm like, let's see how you would like it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and I don't feel that with with any other animal nearly as strongly as I do with dogs. Um, you know, if somebody abuses a dog, like I I freak out. Um, but maybe it's because I have because dogs have done so much for me in my life that I have a a, a fiercely protective nature um, concerning them. Right. Well, yeah. Like, you know, you think of, I, I don't actually, I don't like thinking of any, and I'm sure you don't either, thinking of any animal abuse, but you also like animals are wild. You're like, oh, they could, they could run away and they can do this. But like dogs, we, we feel like, you know, like I got to protect it. It's a dog. Yeah. You totally. Know, like, it's, you know, it's like built into the way we think like dogs and humans. Yeah. Dogs are with humans. That's, that's the way we think. And then this person has broke that. You know, it's like breaking, not even a social contract, it's breaking something sacred. Sure. And that's why it's infuriating. You know, like I didn't say I wanted just time with, with some duct tape with that person. I, I added a buck knife to, <laughs> to the situation because it pisses me off. Uh, like, well, let's see. You, I'm sure you probably neutered that dog, so maybe I could, you know, return the favor. 
<laughs> Man, this I had no idea we were going here in this conversation. This in every way is our darkest episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny because the last couple of episodes, right, have been much more macro, as in we talk about the world and 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 things that, that revolve around much larger and more philosophical things. This is really specific. <laughs> well, you know what's what's interesting? We had talked about before. Um, I you know I had talked about letting go. You know, my theme for the year, letting go, and how. I had realized, I had to accept to some degree that if people go to the other show, the only thing that unites it is is me. And then you had talked about how people say on this show, the reason they come here is to hear us talk and they don't really care what we talk about. I think that, um, if I remember correctly, your wording was you have yet to um, process that completely. But now that you've listened to the last few episodes and you and I both... Um, have been surprised by the last few episodes in listening to them ourselves and going, wow, this is better than I actually realized. Um, have you processed that more? To an extent. Um, I, I get, so, so when you and I are in social situations, um, you know, typically we'll add another person like Colin or somebody like that to the equation, but there's definitely a very clear sense of, of energy that we have in a conversation. And I feel like that comes through a lot in, in the podcast as well. Um, and I feel like the more we enjoy it, it, it's not even the more likely that other people will enjoy it. It's definitely more likely that people will enjoy it. Like one of my friends who, who listened to the, episode, the, the last couple of episodes recently, actually, weirdly, he's the reason I listened to the last few episodes. Um, it's because he, he said that we, it, it, it's never sounded like we've had this much fun before. Um, you know, cause he's gone back and listened to a few of the archive episodes and, you know, a couple of the artist profiles that we did and said that this felt by far like the most natural version of us that he's ever heard. And he doesn't even know you by the way. So he just yeah. knows me. And he said that it's, it's just, it's, it's just clear that we're having a good time. And in that we, we, we exude that energy through, through the conversation itself. So I think I processed it a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I think of the podcasts that I like and I think about why I like them. It makes me appreciate them very differently. Um, and, and I feel like in doing that, it, it, it reinforces the, the idea that, that, you know, you and I have to have fun when we're doing this. And if we're not having fun, it's no fun for anybody else either. <laughs> right. Well, I think, I think I'm, I've been forced to confront it more than you because I have to edit every episode. So I, I hear every episode at least four times. Um, not inclu- not including the recording, um, maybe not all the way through every time. But you know, obviously, when I edit the first time, I have to listen then, and then when I boost it out, I have to listen to a little. Or when I bounce it out, I boost it out. Um, <laughs> when I bounce it out, I have to listen to a little bit of it to make sure the levels are EQ'd, so I move around through the episode, make sure you know everything. I don't have any points where all of a sudden it gets really loud. Um, then I have to put it through another thing and get the loudness correct, uh, which is a broadcast thing. So then I listen to it again there. And then once it's published and it hits the podcast app, I listen to it again to make sure that I understand how it sounds on the phone because it's a completely different speaker and most people are listening to it on a phone. Um, so yeah, I go through each episode a lot. And there are times when we talk about things, you know, we've, we've mentioned before that, you know, we've, we've definitely dipped our toes into really uncomfortable topics. Um, and I, sometimes I, I wait on the editing 
until the last possible minute because I'm afraid that I'm like, oh, what if what if I said something really, really stupid? <laughs> like like last week when we when we talked about um, uh, accepting uh, mentally accepting what it's like when someone has gone through a gender transition. In my head, first of all, I thought that conversation was way longer than it was. And the longer a conversation is, the more chance that you say something stupid is, right? <laughs> uh, so I listened to it and I was like, actually, no, I think we did a fairly decent job of, of explaining that without being um, insulting or condescending. Um, not that, that was, those were either of our intent, but I mean, accidentally be either of those things. And I think that's where every time I have that fear and I listen to it and that's not what happened. And it's, it's more articulate than I thought and that we're having more fun and that there is that energy that reaffirms things for me that may be in a way that you haven't yet been able to experience. Yeah, I would say so. I'm because what you're describing to me is still foreign. Like I don't quite have that feeling yet. When you get there, it's a good feeling. (laughs) That's really strange. Um, you know, by the way, um, you know, we talk about synchronicity a lot. And last week we talked about the collective unconscious, which of course, as we said last week, comes from Carl Jung. Guess what? I didn't know this. I, I was reading something today. Carl Jung coined the term synchronicity. No kidding. So like my synchronicity is now extended itself to synchronicity itself. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Wow, that's really strange. Yeah, I was reading something and um, they said something about, uh, well, Jung in his theory of synchronicity. I'm like, wait, what? Wait a minute. (laughs) That's weird. That's really weird. Ah, uh, Did you you watch True Detective? No, I'm sad to say I haven't. Two episodes, they dropped two. Um. I can't talk about it if you haven't watched it, but I'll say I'll say my personal opinion. Hopefully it doesn't taint yours. This has the potential of being better than the first season. Oh man, that's a lot to live up to. I still think the first season of True Detective is probably the best McConaughey performance I've ever seen him in anything, like by far. Well, you know, I'm a huge Interstellar fan, so I'd, I'd have to mix oh, those. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, but the, the, the amount of range that he's got in that first season of True oh, Detective... Yeah. So broad. The only reason I think that this one could possibly be better, because right now I could just say it's on par, but I hated the ending of the first one. I agree. I, th- I, agree I thought that they rushed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they don't rush the ending of this one and they play out the pacing right, then it will be better than the first one. Oh, man. Interesting. That's all they have to do. <laughs> and the acting is amazing. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yeah, I've been I've been so busy with, you know, other things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like that's basically just occupied the last 48 hours of my life. Um, um, I mean, I got to watching that. I, I forget the name of the show. I think it's called Good Girls. Um, Never heard of it. It's an interesting show. It's about a, a bunch of women who have to take matters into their own hands and become criminals in order to support their lives. Um, and it's surprising. Oh. With Christina Hendrickson from Mad Men and, you know... Hendrix. Uh, no, Hendrix, yeah. Um, it's actually a surprisingly well-written show, and I actually really, really like it. But it's it's mm. kind of one of those shows that I thought would just be on in the background while I'm doing other stuff. But it turns out that it's a fantastic show, and I'm paying a lot more attention to it than I thought I would. You know, I love that. When you, you're like, uh, 
you know, it's like maybe you thought you were going in for a soft show and you're like, whoa, maybe this is a soft show, but I'm digging it. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. You know, it was like that for me. Um, most people haven't seen this, which is actually um, a huge shame. It's called uh, Search Party. It's I've with, never even heard of that. I think her name is Allie Shawcraft. Shaw, Shaw. It's the girl from, it's maybe from Arrested Development. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, her boyfriend on the show is one of the deputies on Stranger Things. He's like the younger guy with, I think he has glasses in that show too. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kind of just thought it was like this goofy, like we're rich and, uh, you know, rich hipster New York, you know, just kind of like making fun of, you know, like, let's just come watch this. I didn't know what that was. And it was supposed to be like also... They're looking for this girl that went missing, but they're 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 not even positive there's a crime. And it ended up like it's the first season kind of is that, but it, it's more complex than that. But then the second season it gets really fucking dark. Huh. Like very bad things dark. Like, oops, we accidentally killed somebody and now we have to hide it from the police. Wow. And it I mean it, it was like this epic turnaround on a show where I was like, I mean, not that the first season wasn't good. You can tell that this was the way that they were going all along. Mm -hmm. But like the first season, you're like, oh, okay, this is this is a little more serious of a show than I thought. This isn't a soft show. Um, and then I watched the second season. This is all the way last year. I, I think third season is coming out soon, if they're even making one. But the second season I watched when I was in the peak of my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> my oh last, man! My last bout of anxiety, and I would just start to watch the show for like ten minutes. I'm like, I can't watch this because it, it's one of those shows that makes you feel like you're guilty, like you did something and somebody's going to catch you. Well, I think that that that's that's a mark of a show that does a really good job at that. Yeah, it's surprising. It's it's a TBS show, and, and I don't know what else TBS makes to be honest. But do they do Walking Dead? Uh, no, that's AMC. Okay, another show I've never seen. Yeah, I, 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 I think after the fourth season, I gave up on it. And I hear it gets better in parts, but it's just too, too much. I can't, I can't do it. You know, we were talking about before, like this overload thing, and you just kind of have to decide. You're like, this is the, these are the ships I'm going to sail on, and it, it just never appealed to me enough to like put it on. I was like, I don't really care that much. I think by nature, dystopian futures kind of don't hold my interest for long enough because I feel like there's always a part of me that really wants positivity, um, which is part of the reason why even my dark things feel inherently positive. Um, like I'm, I'm really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I really love where that's going. Um, even though there are extremely dark moments in it, I always feel like everyone's fighting for the greater good. I was talking to Crystal about this at some point. I feel like for anyone out there who doesn't know, Crystal's my girlfriend. Um, I, I feel like I have a hard time watching shows where the characters are not redeemable, where there's not good qualities in them. Um, and I don't like consequence-based shows either in the sense that like no one's fighting for a greater good. Um, I, feel like, I feel like the more selfish the characters are, the less I like it. With the exception of Seinfeld. Yeah, that's... Seinfeld. Yeah, Seinfeld's just... I think it's because it's the, on a level of, of its own. Like it's a well, show that stands alone among all other shows. While they, first of all, you know, like everybody says that last episode, the way it ends, the way it ends is because they're all completely irredeemable characters. Um, apparently I had trouble with that word in my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> completely irredeemable characters. <laughs> I never felt that way. 
um, maybe because I'm mildly dysfunctional. Um, but I always, I always thought they were very human characters. Yeah, that's and, and so I think that's what separates them in that sense is that like I like I think a lot of people um, it's it's not that it's it's not that any of the Seinfeld characters were bad people they just had they were quirky and they were lost in their quirks it's not that they wanted to to do harm to any other person and I think that's that's where I, I it kind of crosses the line for me is when characters are literally just looking out for themselves at the cost of other people. Well, I think what the magic of Seinfeld too is, you know, your typical comedy, your typical sitcom is based on the fact of I made a bad decision, but I don't tell anybody. So it just keeps getting worse, right? Sure. Whereas on Seinfeld, it's like I did something stupid, just like any other sitcom. And no matter what I do, I make it worse. So they're actually trying to not... They're trying to fix it, but they can only make it worse. Be, especially, um, what's his name? Uh, Costanza, George. Yeah. Yep. Like everything he does, he's got like the reverse Midas touch. Everything he does is turns to shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and, and that, maybe that's why that show doesn't fit that mold of those other things we're talking about is because the comedy is so good that that's where the lightness comes from. Because sure. you're laughing, you're like, "Well, that's you know, that's kind of screwed up." That he, you know, like, uh, what was the girl's name? He couldn't remember her name, and then he's like, "Rhymes with Mova." <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, I agree with you. There's a certain, there's a certain something that I need. You know, it's like when I play video games too. I could easily be, you know, like when I play uh, Skyrim, I could easily be the evilest character. But I actually try not to be. Yeah, same here. It, it doesn't drive me. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. It's, We're just it's, not sociopaths. Yeah, when I played um, Fallout, it was kind of the same thing. Like, I don't like games where, where I'm encouraged to be just a, a, a raging asshole all the time, which is kind of the reason why, I mean, as much as I had a little bit of fun with the Grand Theft Auto games, like, I never really dove into them as, as much as other people's because I feel like I have to be fighting for something. Um, and I have to be fighting for something that's not just me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's and kind of like the dog thing, you know, it's just something that I think is inherent in, in the human animal. You know, some people are deficient in it and that's why we call them sociopaths. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of people and sociopaths, <laughs> and, well, not sociopaths, but stupidity. Um, let's t- I want to tell you something that <laughs> I, uh, uh, I'll say, I could only research it for two and a half minutes before my brain started to short circuit. Um, but I heard a mention of something. Um, I heard a mention of something that made the flat earth movement sound less stupid. <laughs> and the only way it made it sound less stupid was by being more stupid than it. <laughs> Oh, it, no. it didn't reduce the stupidity of flat earth, but it just proved that there was a, a leap and bound beyond it that existed. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there is a space is fake movement. What? <laughs> there is a space is fake movement that man, space you, does not how do you, exist. How do you find this stuff, man? Uh, somebody mentioned it. I think it was on Rogan or something. They said just an offhand comment, but me being me, you know, I bust open Safari. I'm like, what, what is that all about? Um, and because I feel like 
you could use a little bit of this. I'm going to read you a couple paragraphs of this thing I found just to lighten your day and everybody else's. <laughs> okay. Um, what I what I do want to point out is that people who... Um, it seems like people, when they are trying to prove something that's inherently illogical, tend to like to use the word logic a lot. <laughs> so with, with that in mind, let me introduce you to outer space is fake. Oh, I'll put it, I, for those with the, with the mental capacity to withstand reading something like this, I will put the link in the show notes. No one has ever been into outer space. We can logically conclude... If man cannot go into outer space, even with all the money in the world at his disposal, then outer space either does not exist or there is some barrier that we do not have the technology to penetrate, (sighs) such as the Van Allen radiation belt, which is probably fake, by the way. (laughs) What? (laughs) There's so much more. (laughs) (laughs) How do I know no one has ever been in outer space? Question mark. I know absolutely that no one has ever been in outer space because there is zero credible evidence that anyone has ever been in outer space. There is not even one photograph of the Earth from outer space. (laughs) Secondly, I know the Earth is a flat plane because there is no curvature on the Earth. Once again, trying to prove themselves a scientific genius. Using the Pythagorean theorem, that we all learned in eighth grade, we can calculate the curvature of the earth and there is no curvature to be found. The earth is flat and motionless. There is no such thing as space travel. (laughs) Uh, There's one more paragraph down here. Um, If you weren't such a useless consumer and if you would just stop driving your car and creating global warming, then maybe the rest of us could see stars like this. It's a picture of stars. Again, it's just a fiction, fictional painting. Fiction painting. It doesn't say fictional. It's just, oh, science fiction painting propaganda piece composed to put a thought image in your mind that you are pathetic and to get you to worship the same government that runs scams to use tax money to pay crap, pay for crap like this. If I want a painting of the stars, I will paint one myself. Thank you for very much. Oh my god. <laughs> oh oh uh oh it's a planet, but it's not Earth, and it's not from this fake solar system. I could go on and on, but um I love that. I, I if that was written as a short piece of fiction in in an anthology, that would be a brilliant character. But the fact that that is a real human being. It's a little bit terrifying, and I try not to be super mean on this show, but it's really hard not to laugh at that because um, not only does it show a complete lack of understanding of anything, um, but the two things that really, really make me laugh are, number one, the, the attempts to use scientific things while at the same time denying science. Um, you know, it, we're supposed to believe that the Pythagorean theorem is something that we can have faith in. And the Van Allen belt, well, maybe that exists. Um, but, you know, the, all these satellite images and all of this other scientific data that we get from satellites every day, that, that part of science you can't trust. And then the other part of the, the complete lack of how to make an argument, like outer space does not exist. How do I know? Because I know. 
I mean, it's 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 beyond ludicrous. It, it's it's it. I always wonder to myself what it would be like to have a conversation with a flat earther, earther, or at least what you're introducing me to now, which is a space denier, which I didn't even think I'd, I'd ever say in my life. Um, <laughs> but I wonder to myself, like, I used to, I used to wonder what kind of arguments I would make to a person like that. But I think in my my older age, I think I've just come to the conclusion that I just wouldn't talk to this person. I just couldn't do it. There's there's nothing that I can say. It's like talking to a religious person. There's nothing that I can say to dissuade them of of their truth. You know what I no, mean? No, absolutely not. I mean, it goes back to the the coddling of the American mind again. You know, I I said it's it's required reading. It's because it ties in everything. You know, we in that book they focus on this kind of thought process on the left. Now you know this person's not saying anything, but you know that this person is most likely on the right. Because most of the flat earthers are tied into religion of some sort, and most religion is tied into the right as opposed to the left. These, this is not 100% true. That's why I'm using words like most. But it's a safe bet that this person is on the right. So you can see that the, the real danger of this coddling and this, um, my, what I feel and what is my truth is important and you know, real truth and real evidence and all these things don't mean anything is coming at us from both ends and that we're sandwiched in the middle. Sure. And, and that's the really frightening and dangerous thing about it because, you know, like this person, of course, has the right to think whatever they want. And there's no argument about rights. But I have the right to say, that's stupid because yeah. you have absolutely no proof for anything you're saying. I mean, how, how I, I have no idea how to respond to that. I'm not even sure now that you've brought this up in, in the podcast, like how to respond to it properly. I don't know that there is a way to respond to it except to laugh. And, you know, it's not like, a, you know, like I'm laughing. I'm not really making fun of this person. Um, I'm laughing because it's terrifying. It's terrifying sure. that people, that the possibility of a post-truth world is, I mean, that it exists. And we could reach a state where people believe nothing that any credible source tells them and only believe what they want. How do you govern a world like that? Well, there has to be, there has to be some unifying truth. Otherwise, there's no, there's no relating point. There's no basis for comparison. Right. You know, what if somebody's a water denier? We don't have to worry about them. You know what I mean? They're going to die of thirst. Or like a math denier. I mean, that's because then you start getting into things that may potentially be really dangerous for society, right? Like, I mean, if we're talking about the left and the right here, if we're talking about climate change deniers or, or, or you know, then, then we start to, to unravel the, 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 the truth that we all collectively share. And at that point, then it really becomes hard to relate to people in such a way that you can move forward together. And that now you just reminded me of why I was so sure this person's on the right because they make fun of climate change in there. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. At, at a certain point, you, you have to. This is probably a bad person to reference because people are. This is, a, I don't even remember his name, so that's good. <laughs> the people are ex, a little exas, uh, exacerbated about this person, but the guy who wrote the bell curve. Um, because they thought that it was racist. I haven't read it. Can't say one way or the other. But um, I remember the bell curve in school. 
And what the bell curve in school did is everybody had their grades and they would chop off both ends. So that the people with the highest scores wouldn't fuck everybody else's average up and the people with the lowest scores wouldn't fuck everybody's average up. And and I'm not saying this in in a violent way, but as far as logic goes, we have to... We need a logic bell curve. You know, we need to, to cut off the, the the frayed ends of both extremes and say, sorry, this group in the middle that accepts truth, and even when it's difficult truth, we are the ones who make the decisions. So what you're basically saying is we don't exist in the matrix and there's no Easter Bunny. Yeah. But, oh, but you know, now that you bring up the matrix, is an important question though. In the world where people can decide to believe whatever they want, what happens when that's actually a possibility? Mm. When we can live in Ready Player One? Then it's chaos and we're all going to die. No, I mean, is it really chaos? Because if everybody's living living in there, then the real world is probably going to be pretty peaceful. Yeah, but you know know what's lacking in in a story like Ready Player One um, is consequence. Is that you know, it, it, we're, we're assuming that there's no consequence. Like, for example, if we're talking, if we go back to last week's episode and we're talking about consciousness again, and within this, this matrix, your consciousness is your living expression, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. If you die in that world, then does your consciousness die with you? You know, like we have to, we have to basically set some ground rules so we can start defining what we're talking about, right? So let's say in that instance, your your consciousness dies if if it dies within the the, the construct that is whatever the matrix is that we're talking about here. Um, I feel like if if consequence was a part of the equation then there would definitely be chaos. Because think about the world of Ready Player One, right? Like there's in that that fictional that that fictional VR world, there was no consequence. If you died, you just reset. Right. But I mean, why would you believe that your consciousness would die there? I don't know. I feel like I need that. I feel like I, I, I feel like as 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 a person that exists in a society, there has to be consequences or it really will be chaos. I don't know because um, I think, first of all, I'm going to say I don't want this world <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but I am going to make a point about logic on it, though. You're assuming, at least it sounds like, I shouldn't say what you're doing. It sounds like you're assuming that everybody is forced in the, in the virtual world to live in the same world. Oh, true. Good point. Yeah. Why why can't somebody who's a complete sociopath live in their own world, virtual world by themselves and kill whatever they want? Then what who cares about the whether there's consequence or not because they're not interacting with us. Yeah, that's true, but then then the the definition we have for society has to change because then we're not living in a, a social structure together. So yeah, so that so then that that henceforth means that society as we understand it doesn't exist anymore. Well, I mean, it does in the virtual, maybe not in the real world. Maybe the only thing that happens out in the real world, remember in the Matrix when they popped out and it was like the sparsest, like most gnarly world because no one was ever there. Sure. I mean, but but they all interacted with each other in the virtual world. You're describing a virtual world in which everyone has, doesn't have to exist in the same space. Well, yeah, because my, because my a view of what's possible is based on decades of things that people didn't know when they wrote the matrix that oh, that's true, possible they didn't think yeah. about that 
you know, they, they had no clue that that was possible it's just because they just didn't put the pieces together. I can pull up a video game right now and play it by myself and not interact with another human being. And the virtual world is going to be no different than video games because that's who's making them. I feel like I care about that world less. You should because it's not real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like for me, I feel like I feel like consequence has to exist. I feel like camaraderie has to exist. I feel like the the interaction with a real person is what defines the world to me. But you know, to play devil's advocate, you can have that. You can have whatever world you want. Mm. Maybe that's have- what Lamb's world is, and that's the, everybody that thinks that way. They all live in that world. Mm. And then you have the crazy sociopaths. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, Mad Max their way through the world and kill everybody. In a way, wouldn't that be great? You're like, well, let's let's just put all the sociopaths together, and they can just, you know, they don't die, so they just keep killing each other over and over again and having fun. (laughs) Well, then you're basically splitting off society into various sects. Totally, that's what's happening. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, it's it's different than what we do with prison. Yeah, and, and or just geographical locations in this country. I mean, if, if you go from here to Alabama, you know, I'm talking about going from the, the Bay Area in California to a rural town in Alabama. It's a completely different world. Right. Well, I mean, and also when you when you look at prison, I mean, like, you're institutionalizing these people. So you're basically sectioning them off. So there's, I mean, there's a difference there. Those people can leave. But in prison, you couldn't. Yeah, that's true. It's a weird thing to think about. And then, in fact, I mean, it's hard for me to say this, but maybe this quote unquote post truth world is just preparing us for that. Well, I mean, it, it, truth it, it, won't it, matter anymore. Yeah, it goes back to the conversation we had about the Kardashev scale. One of the, the descriptions of the Kardashev, like level three um, civilization, is that none of them will, will they'll all exist within some kind of, of matrixy world um and basically they'll be sending out probes to colonize other worlds but there won't even be you know colonists on them though they'll just be these replicating machines that continually just expand outward yeah well you know what i'm reading right now is um singularity is near by kurtzville oh man we have such a confusing podcast (laughs) it's not confusing it's in the title we're just all over the place It's our title, man. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. It's the first word that they know is random. Uh, but it also is probably why growth is always such a strange thing with this podcast because people don't know what to make of it. But I don't really give a shit. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, it's it's interesting that you bring that up, though, right? Like, if you if you're starting to segment society that way, I mean, I feel like I feel like we're we're doing that geographically and socially already now. I wonder how extreme that can get. As extreme as you want. But here's the funny thing about it too, though. And then this is a positive thing in a way. Um, racism won't exist anymore. Oh, how do you figure that? Because you'll never know what somebody really is in flesh. How are you gonna how are you gonna categorize somebody and say, I don't like him because he's black? He might not be. Yeah, but you can still discriminate against their virtual selves. Right, but that's not racism, is it? Uh, I don't know. Racism's tied to biology. Yeah, it depends on whether you're redefining race in that sense too, because now you're redefining society as well. So sure. what if there's there's some kind of virtual race? Like, I mean, because you, you can be who you want, right? So I could be a, I don't know, a 50-year-old buff black man. You know what I mean? 
Right. Like in Ready Player One. Exactly. But here's the thing you're forgetting. If I am, if I choose to be um, a dark elf, maybe they're racist against dark elves. You know, the people are racist against dark elves, you know, blue, blue skinned elves with white hair. I can just choose not to live in the world where people who don't like dark elves are. <laughs> I'm not subjected to other people's worlds. I just go make another one and live in that one. Because, oh, true. Yeah. you know, the first couple generations of people that will live in this world are going to be worried about whether they're, play- whether they're talking to NPCs or they're talking to real players. But after a couple generations of this, nobody will give a shit whether they're talking to quote-unquote real people or computerized uh, um, artificial intelligences. What about the people who want to hold on to their biology and don't want to plug into this world? I don't know. I guess they'll be running around the planet doing stuff. Maybe screwing people while they're... Uh, <laughs> Oh man, it'll be a new crime. Oh geez. All right. Now we got, now we got real dark. Um, actually there's an anime that I think you should check out at some point. Um, that's really, really cool called blame. Um, it's basically where humans create these, these self-replicating and self-repairing robots that build cities and all this kind of stuff. And at some point they run totally amok and basically keep building outwards in the solar system. And by the time the story starts in the anime, it's like 50,000 years in the future. Like no human that's still alive actually has any idea what year it is or how long the machines have been building, but they've built out to the orbit of Saturn. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. Um, And so it could be 100,000 years, it could be a million years, nobody knows, but these machines have built. And obviously humanity is just literally trying to survive in small pockets. Um, but none of them have ever seen, you know, other pockets of humanity because obviously the solar system is vast. So if you can imagine building something from the edge of the sun all the way out to Saturn, um, that's one giant mechanical construct now. That's very bizarre. I love it. Yeah, it's really cool, actually. I thought you'd really enjoy it. Uh, oh, I have, a, I have a, speaking of recommendations, I have a documentary that you have to watch. Um, it's called Holly, The Hollywood Complex. Have you heard of this? I have not. It is about, um, you know what pilot season is, right? In Hollywood? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's this place, I can't remember the name of it, and I think they've changed the name anyways. Um, But there's this apartment complex in Hollywood that when kids go out for pilot season to try out for shows, this is where most of them stay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I used to work in the industry a little bit, and I, I actually know where that is. It's a it's a really interesting documentary. In some way, it's really depressing <laughs> because uh, just how how willing people are. Like I don't know. It, it sounds it sounds harsh to like criticize people's parenting, but like choices people make for their children that are just like awful choices. You know, it's like the kid is the kid's whim is more important than like reality. Like there's, you know, like I want to be an actor. Okay. We're going to move to Hollywood. So there's this, there's a couple in there that a couple kids in there in the documentary that they, they, they don't just go out for pilot season. Like they live there year round. Yep. And it's just really depressing because like one of them, it's like this girl and her mom, they've been there for three years. um, And they have another kid and a, and she has a husband and they they live in like fucking 10 states away 
and they choose to live in this Hollywood thing so that she can go for these things and just split their family up for a whim that the daughter wants to be an actress. And, the, you know, like the show, the documentaries from like uh, 2015 or 2016. So it's been two or three or th- three or four years since the production of this. And I looked up on IMDb and that girl hasn't done shit. So, man. <laughs> so like they just basically threw away their family life. Yeah, but I mean, do do you support? I mean, I wonder as a, a parent though. Like, I mean, do you, how far are you willing to go to support the dream of your child? There's there's one other girl in there, and, I, and I'll answer that one with her. Um, her mom says, "Okay, you want to be an actress?" She's from like uh, I don't know some place where she has horses, so kind of country country place. Um, cute girl. Um, so they call her like one person calls her at one point like a young Marissa Tomei. So anyways, they go out and just a t- totally different parenting style, right? Her, The mom and her go out and they go out for pilot season. Nothing comes of it. They go back home. The end. They never went oh. back. They tried it. It's like, okay, you want to try this, sweetheart? We can try it. Didn't work out. Back to normal life. Yeah, versus the parents who are trying to vicariously live through their kids and stay out there for five years. And basically, if the kid doesn't get anything, then you've ruined the life of that child because they're not going to have any sort of normal experience at all. Right. And not to mention, you know, the, the, whatever screwed up schooling they're getting as well, You know, because a lot of them are homeschooled. Sure. And most parents aren't skilled enough to be schooling their children. Um, just because yeah. that's not their, their skill set. I'm not insulting them as people. It's just not their skill set. Um, but yeah, it's like that family, they move back home. And you, when you watch the documentary, you'll see that of all of them, that girl with that family is the most well-adjusted human being. Of course she is because she doesn't live in that, that plastic world. And I, 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 I can't say that. That's mean to say. I know plenty of people who work in Hollywood. I know some that work there right now. Um, and they're perfectly well-adjusted, good-meaning people. But I'm just talking about like for, for the people who... I guess I guess in every industry it's kind of like that. Um, like I've been talking about this in politics with people too as well, which is if you need it, then you shouldn't have it. But if you right. don't need it, you're probably going to be really good at it. <laughs> well, people in Hollywood will tell you it's a fake plastic world too. Sure. Because it's not the necessarily the people. It's the system and you know the money and all of the all of those things. Like when you watch there's um there's one part where Actually, both of the girls that I mentioned go to this agency and both they both kind of it's it's weird because they show both of them staggered interviews and they're meeting with different agents and they get almost the exact same response from both of them. Um, you know, like, we'd love to take you on. We think we could really do something for you. You're going to need new headshots and you should probably take some classes. Well, guess what? The one of the agents is uh, the wife of the photographer. Sure. And the the acting classes they want you to take you are downstairs, so it's it's like this you know this nepotist system where they're like these kids probably aren't going to go anywhere, but we can probably squeeze some lemon from that stone. Sure, sure, sure. And that's the part where it's fucked up because that's happening more than you know like than the real acting gigs. Sure. You know, it's one thing for kids to be going out for stuff and like, sorry, you know, like you're not what we're looking for and then there's another thing for them just being manipulated for money yeah that's horrible it's awful but it's a great documentary it's really well done 
And I imagine that's probably rampant down there too, considering that you're literally just preying on the dreams of, of children and their parents. Like you're oh, using yeah. you're using the the need for the parents to have to live vicariously through their kids, and then you're you're taking all of that fuel from both sides of that, and then heaping not only the the, the pressure on the kid, but but forcing them into a situation where you financially gain from them too. I mean, there's so many things wrong with that, and you know it's right because they are they're willing to do what they're already doing. So they've already signaled themselves to be susceptible f- for something like that. Absolutely. You, you've captured, it's a target market. I mean, it's a defined demographic, you know, and in business, that's the, what more could you want than a willing audience that is already pre-qualified for what you're selling? Yep, exactly. I can't believe the dog has been quiet this whole time. He's asleep. Man, I think you found like literally the perfect dog for you. <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? Come on. Say hi, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's cut this one. I think we've done our do do do. I'm learning how to talk for the first time. <laughs> Once my tongue stops working, I think that we're nearing the end. Well, plus I think um, I mean it's I I'm gonna pat myself a little bit on the back for this one, just because I feel like considering what my days look like, I had to muster up a lot of energy to be on this show. But despite that, um, not despite that, that's the wrong way to put it. I feel like this is my reprieve from from the real, the world of the real. Um, this is my blue pill, for lack of a better way of saying it. So so thank you for giving me that escape from what has been a harrowing day. <laughs> well, I hope hopefully all of that stuff will turn around fast. But either way, this is always going to be here. And I think that that's a good good lesson you point out there is, you know, for people, anybody that's having difficulty with something, you know, and the dog too, going back to the dog, find something to put your focus into. You know, even if it's just for like this, an hour and 20 minutes, you know, find something to put your energy into. Um, if you would like to follow the Holy Fool feeds on social media, you can go to Instagram and follow Holy Fool Productions. Um, yeah, that's it. At Holy Fool Productions. And you can go to Twitter, follow Holy Holy Fool. You can go to Facebook, find Holy Fool Productions. But like I said last week, I'd rather you went to the website, interacted with stuff on the website, and uh, became a member. Support Holy Fool, support Random Badassery, and Creative Minds. And if you would like to check out Lamb, you can... Find me at The Vacant Room. Um, That's the website and the blog. Um, You can also find me um, at The Vacant Room. Um, It's just The Vacant Room. The ad symbols just added um, for Twitter as well as Instagram. And Chad, can you tell everybody what the name of your dog is? Latte. I didn't there name him, but that's what we're with. Three years old already, so I can't really change his name. Good point. Um, and all the people who are going to go find Lamb on social media, give him some love. He's having a rough week. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Bye, fuckers. Bye. Bye.